We often look at life as having a beginning and an end. We also often view ourselves as separate from all that is around us. But what if we were everything around us? What if we came from and were made from the exact same building blocks of the entire universe? Well, that would change what we see as the beginning and the end. Welcome to Dad, Can You Hear Me? On this show, we aim to push the boundaries of what we believe and why, and question if what we know of reality is nothing more than an illusion. Samad recently lost his father during the pandemic, which has led him to question the concepts of birth, death, the afterlife, and the meaning of our existence. We are excited to have you with us as we explore all the possibilities that are here right in front of us in this reality. This is the Dad Can You Hear Me podcast. Please welcome the hosts of the show, Samad, Evan, and Daniel. What's going on, people? We're back. Another episode of Dad Can You Hear Me? A podcast inspired by the recent passing of my pops. Um, you know, we're here to explore this consciousness, spirituality, everything beyond and beyond. And um, we got Evan back in the building. Evan, what's going on, man? What's good. What's good? I know he's been traveling the country, man. So I definitely want to find out later on, you know, some of those experiences, man. But it's glad to see you back in the building. We're back in here. And today we got a real dope in- uh, interview today, man. We're uh, interviewing Laura. Laura, are you there? Hey, I'm here. Laura, what's going on? Can you just give you a little bit of a background on yourself to our listeners? Sure. So my name is Laura Camillo, and I'm a clinical social worker here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, I've lived here about half my life now, but my family is originally from the Dominican Republic. And it was actually my cousin Daniel who asked me to um, go on this podcast, which I've never been on a podcast before, so... I was flattered, and I was like, sure, why not? Um, And, yeah, so I work in mental health. I've been in practice now for about three years, and I guess I've, you know, enjoyed working with different diagnoses and different populations, Um, but I particularly love working with the Spanish-speaking population, the undocumented population, I love working with women, um, and I really love doing trauma work. So, yeah, that's sort of my area of focus. That's dope. That's dope. And, you know, I know it is this month is uh, Mental Health Awareness Month. And basically what we want to do for this show, um, Laura is actually being trained in in um, in um, the uh, usage of psychedelics. And um, that's true. I forgot to include that. <laughs> right, right, right. So, you know, <laughs> that's actually huge because it kind of aligns with this podcast and what we're doing, because, you know, after COVID, I feel like the consciousness of this world is kind of like stepping it up more, le- more or less. And things that we thought we judged and thought were maybe negative, we're realizing that some of these things have benefits, such as you see in like marijuana is becoming legal, which is huge. But psychedelics mm-hmm. is even more is even more intense and more like of a of a veil being revealed because. Uh, for so long, we we there was so much judgment towards psychedelics. You know, if somebody took ecstasy or they took, you know, you know, what I'm saying um, acid. The first thing you look at the person is they're crazy, right? They're halluc- they're gonna hallucinate. They're gonna, they're right. gonna, you know, what I'm saying like, and it's like now, the 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 one drug that shamans used in in the Amazon and parts of Mexico for I don't know begin you know beginning of time is now making its way to the West and to America and to, you know, clin- uh, clinicians' hands like yourself. So that's that's huge, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's really weird. I mean, I, I never um, thought this is what I would be doing. Like, it's definitely been something that I've focused on in the last probably nine years or so. It's been a while to get to the place where I could be trained in this and sort of, uh, you know, betting a lot on, on hope. Um, I was really nervous during the last administration about what would happen with the research, you know, that's not been something that's been, there hasn't been the ability to do the research that's needed um, for decades because of the schedule one of all these substances and like the war on drugs and all this kind of political stuff. Um, So I definitely feel really honored to be able to pick up where a lot of people had to leave off and to 
educate myself and how these can be beneficial experiences for people. Wow, that's huge. So, like, in reg- I know you said you've, you've worked a lot with trauma and PTSD and, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times, you know, those post-traumatic stress disorder, these, these, these things get thrown around. But for, like, the layman person that doesn't really understand trauma or PTSD, can you give a little, I don't know, quick background on, you know, what these things are? Sure. So working with trauma, working with PTSD diagnoses, you do spend a lot of time doing psychoeducation, right? Like trying to have the person understand what this even means. Um, and it means a lot on different levels of functioning. So the way that I explain it to people is there's a lot of different types of challenging events that can become traumas. Not every challenging event becomes a trauma and not every trauma becomes post-traumatic stress disorder. And for like a proper diagnosis of PTSD, you have to meet criteria across these different aspects of how you're functioning, right? And I think there's a lot of focus on the PC part of PTSD, right? Like processing trauma, understanding trauma, like the way the trauma shows up, what it means in your, your body, right? Like the biology of trauma. Um, and getting into that, like the SD of that is, is a stress disorder. So there really is a lot to learn about the, the physiological um, effects of trauma or that even affects the sort of like origin point. Um, it's, it's really important to understand that these harrowing experiences that people have, because some of them are really terrifying, like hardly vivid nightmares or um, hypervigilance, right? Like the constant scanning over your shoulder for potential danger. Um, and then just feeling really cut off from yourself, dissociation, all these things that make it hard to feel like you're in touch with your own life and like you are not just at the mercy of everyday occurrences. Like that's what we're talking about when we're talking about PTSD. Um, it's just basically the result of an overextended, stressed out nervous system. And it can be from one challenging event. It could be from like an onslaught of challenging events. Um, you see both in people. Um, but it's really, really hard um, for for people to experience this. And I think part of the reason it's really hard is because the understanding of what PTSD is, I think, has been limited um, traditionally. Like, I think it's been more understood as something that was experienced by, by veterans. And that was still like decades of, of research and treatment and understanding, you know, what was happening with people who were coming back with like shell shock, they called it, right? So moving into then, well, there's other types of traumatized uh, communities. You know, you don't have to go to war to experience extremely adverse um, effects on your nervous system, on your feelings of safety. Um, so I don't even know. I feel like I could go on and on. <laughs> no, no, that <laughs> you was, feel like <laughs> that, no, that was dope, man. Like, go ahead, Ev. Yeah, no. M- my only question was, um, so what exactly drew you to psychedelics specifically? Like just throughout your mental health studies, you know, I think with these substances, the kind of imagery your imagination can manifest might even be just as scary as those images Mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're you're getting from these conditions. So I guess it would be nice Mm -hmm. to, for you to educate people on how these substances can actually medicate and alleviate those experiences. Yeah. And I'm glad you bring that up because I think that's something that I I do love kind of the, the conversation that's opening up around psychedelics and, some of the stigma that's being lifted off the psychedelic experience, but at the same time, um, and this is something that I actually was reading about um, recently in, in the training course that I'm in, one of the effects of, well, this example was MDMA, um, can be uh, an increase in anxiety. It can be an increase in feelings of rigidity for a moment, like fear of letting go, fear of reliving traumatic experiences, right? So, they do come with that possibility. It's not always um, so uplifting and and visionary and lovely. That can definitely happen too. It can happen in the same experience. Um, But I think it is important to realize, like, especially when you're talking about people who've had um, trauma uh, experiences, you you don't quite know what you're going to get, right? Like, and there's ways to sort of guard against some of the worst of it. Um, And then at the same time, sometimes people do need to go through the challenging part to get through that. Um, 
but that generally, of course, like we want that to be done in a supportive environment and like a really safe environment. Um, so, geez, I feel like, okay, what was the question? I, <laughs> no, I, I feel like I, I lost it. No, you, you answered most of it. Yeah, I, I was just curious <laughs> what, what drew you specifically to psychedelics. Oh, what drew me? Yeah. Um, well, I never expected to be involved in this. My whole life, I really wanted to be a writer. Like, I um, was working in sort of freelance journalism, I guess, before I took a turn into mental health. And I loved it. I, I loved writing and I loved interviewing people and hearing people's stories and, um, you know, the power of the narrative experience. And I guess I just never felt quite settled in it, you know, like I, mm-hmm. I was in my early 20s and I was like, oh, I'm doing well enough for being like the recession. And I graduated uh, from my undergrad in 2010 and there weren't a lot of jobs for people with Latin American studies majors and English minors, which is what I had. Like, I don't, <laughs> yeah, I didn't really know what to do with all that. Um, but I, I was having a good time. Like I was meeting interesting people and I was covering interesting stories. And then I just had my own uh, psychedelic experiences. And I felt that there was so much more to the story than what I'd ever heard. Um, I felt the effects on my own mental health and it was so hard to put into words. And I didn't really know who I could tell and, you know, it really just kind of prompted me to do my own uh, study into these things. And I realized that I, I really felt a calling to, to learn more about them, you know, the, the plant medicines and the current clinical research and sort of all the different theories. And I think psychedelics, like, are just, it's just not boring at all. Like, you can really kind of go down the rabbit hole of information on the different uh, substances themselves and different theories and different case studies and like, you know, impact on ecology and impact on public policy. And there's a lot of mm. aspects to this. Um, and then I, I think it actually blended really well with my social work education. Um, I only went for my MSW because I knew that that was the way, one of the ways that you could go ahead and um, eventually be certified to do uh, this type of work. Like you could go into psychology or counseling and, I like the idea of social work because it really teaches you about like systems, right. And community things. And I think that's a really natural partner to um, some of the potential benefits of the psychedelic experience, like outside of the individual therapeutic experience. Dope. Dope. I mean, I like how you say too, and when you, if we rewind a little bit, you say in regards to trauma, you said, you know, Mm -hmm. trauma has been limited in, our understanding of what trauma is. And um, it's been only like PTSD has only been like uh, kind of like associated with veterans, but like with, you know, in regards to the lane that you're going down with like uh, psychedelics and stuff, we're realizing that trauma is, is, is bigger than just associated with that. Like I know in this, in the spiritual community, we look at it, It's trauma is like life is tra- traumatic in itself. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like a, a child is born into this world and, and, they, and when, they, <laughs> when they're born, they're crying, right? Like they're crying because mm-hmm. they're scared, right? And then their, their mom comes there and gives their comfort and through the comfort, you know, then I guess, you know, their anxieties start to calm down. But like, mm-hmm. I know, I don't know if you, you guys are familiar with Dr. Gabe Matei, um, but like he says mm-hmm. that basically like <laughs> if a kid is in like a kid, if a kid is in his room, like for like a couple months without any type of love or any type of light, the kid will actually die. Right. (laughs) Like, and the kid can have like implicit memories when they get older of basically of, of their parents, not, you know, that abandonment of that abandonment. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's implicit, right. It's not even like in their awareness, which is traumatic Mm -hmm. in itself. Right. Like the kid can, have these type of abandonment memories without even knowing why. So I, I think the thing with psychedelics in that we're moving to, to a place where of, of healing and trying to use different modalities of trying to heal, because a lot of times we could be traumatized and not even know we're traumatized. And yeah. not even, um, you know what I mean? I really agree with that. And, you know, you bring up sort of the the experience of being a newborn and and being an infant. And unfortunately, that is where a lot of people's trauma does begin. Like, unfortunately, that is not an uncommon experience that people don't 
have the support that they need to feel safe from a very early age. Um, and, you know, I think kind of partnering that with like my social work education is the question of why, right? Like why don't children receive the, the care that they need? Well, because their caretakers aren't well, right? And why aren't their caretakers well? Sometimes it is isolated mental illness. Oftentimes you're looking at social problems and systems issues and intergenerational trauma and that being affected by intergenerational systems issues and policy issues. And like, yeah, you know, coming into our world is definitely uh, potentially a trauma um, or it can be a challenging experience that is padded by protective factors so that a person can learn resilience, can learn to thrive, can learn to navigate those challenges. And what trauma is, is it's like kind of, in a sense, the opposite of that, at least for a while. Like, it's, it's the experience of not feeling safe enough in your container in order to step into yourself in a, in a deeper way. Like, it's, it's really hard, you know, um, to see the ways that people are so separated from themselves. And, you know, I can talk about it on like a more clinical level of just like, oh, you know, dissociation and sure. um, the, the way that the nervous system is sort of overloaded and therefore you experience it as, you know, not being well. Um, and sometimes that's helpful to like explain that to people, the sort of um, biology of it, but I don't know that it makes it easier to, to talk about, right? Like we can categorize symptoms all day long. You're still talking about a really, really hard experience for people. No, definitely. So would you say like the, oh, were you going to say something? Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say like, would you say the explorative nature of psychedelics is like what makes it so useful in, in medicating these issues. Like I've heard from enough people who have taken psychedelics. I have, um, that it's like this spiritual journey and you know, like even early civilizations for, you know, kids who were coming of age and needed to turn to men or turn to women. Like they took these psychedelics and, and went on this spiritual journey journey and discovered themselves. Like is, is the explorative nature, like a, a really big part in, in medicating these? Yeah, I think, you know, anybody who's interested in just other cultures or, or history and just the ways that people have lived, like at some point, I think your attention has to turn to how people have related to altered state experiences, right? And sometimes they didn't come from plants. Like sometimes people find other methods, you know, trans states and things like that. But oftentimes that has been accompanied by by drugs, by like being high. And, you know, <laughs> the thing is, like we have a really weird relationship to that experience in this country. I think a lot of times because of how political the questions around who gets to alter their experience and how have become. Um, but if you're looking at the ways that, you know, cultures around the world have used and do use, um, you know, plant compounds or just, you know, the way they value the altered experience is in community, right? Like, it's not with the fear of persecution. It's with the encouragement of your loved ones. Um, I'm not by any means like a, an expert in, in peyote and, and that tradition, but I remember that I watched a really interesting um, presentation on, by this anthropologist who talked about the peyote consumption and I think the Weechol people and how they start from, from the time they're very young. It's like this, this ritual. The whole community goes and partakes together including very very young children but it's done in such a supportive environment that like people are sort of looking for any potential risk right and like there's also the understanding that they know how to use the plants after so long of interacting with it right they understand dosing and adverse effects and things like that um and the people who worked with the, this woman like they've found really no adverse effects on on this culture um and they had they used peyote throughout the lifetime generally and you weren't pressured to like you know if you didn't like it you didn't have to and if you did like it you were sort of like taught how to use it and how to use it in the context of your culture right which i think is what we really don't have in the u.s we have so, so many like experiences available to us and not a lot of ability to have a long sit with any particular way of doing yeah. things generally absolutely no, no doubt i well, I, just listen to what you're saying in regards to like the other countries. I think the paradigm is shifting in this country. We're like we, the West has been under this masculine kind of way of thinking <clears throat> that everything is like, 
empirical, you know, research and has to be proven if you don't if you don't see it, you know, it doesn't exist. And I and I definitely believe in science full, th- you know, 100%, but I do believe like we're we're kind of like combining like a feminine kind of uh approach in regards to understanding like like using nature, right? And like not seeing nature as something that's against us, but more so for us, right? Like, and like allowing these, these psychedelics or these, these remedies that's been around from since the beginning of the time that we're finally coming like, okay, maybe, 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 maybe they can work with the paradigm we have. Right. You know I mean? Maybe we can incorporate it. Cause I think that's been the problem. It's been real. Like, from my interpretation is we've been under like a real, like real, like input output kind of situation. You know what I'm saying? Things are just black and white. Yeah. It's always like black and white. Yeah. It's always has to be black and white. So this is trauma. So this is how you solve it. But like, Mm -hmm. obviously, you know what I'm saying? Like we've, we've done a great job, but there's always something missing because there's a piece missing. You know what I'm saying? The ability to have trust Mm -hmm. and love, like, the thing about psychedelics is that you're seeing, and even with if with marijuana being legal, there's a there's a sense of trust that's happening, like collectively, we're believing mm-hmm. that even though we were taught these things were negative, we're believing that these things can work. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and then going on beyond like relying on pharmaceuticals. Yeah, yeah. like you know what I'm saying we're, we're going beyond re- relying on pharmaceuticals. We're like we're saying okay, it's like the placebo effect, but like that's like it's like it's like when you're young and your mom your mom knows best. Yeah, See what I'm yeah, saying yeah. your mom might have been you know whatever like you know grew up in the south or however and like hey mom you know your mom or your grandmother gives you this remedy you believe it. Yeah, no, I mean, that's why they call her Mother Nature. I mean, you, right. you don't even realize that the, the resolution was here the whole time. Exactly. And I think with the psychedelics, that's where we're going. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, you know, just imagine if instead of this, like, political agenda that happened in the 60s with the war on drugs mm-hmm. and completely throwing out all the studies that had been done and putting a freeze on research in this country and then policing the rest of the world so that the rest of the world basically had to follow our drug laws to some extent because if they didn't they were in trouble right like that put a stop on science and a stop on research for decades right so like if we say that we are in fact the scientific society right like if that is what we value you know research and evidence and statistics okay then like do it right Mm -hmm. like then actually allow it to happen don't stop science don't call to the thing that you say you're valuing right that too yeah for the people that are gonna refute you know pretty much anything that's solved by nature um what like positive results i guess can you share that you've seen throughout your research and maybe even experimentation i guess i don't know if that's the right word Yeah, so I think one of the uh, coolest things that i got to do was when i was finishing my my master's you have to do a research project, it's not exactly a thesis. Like a thesis is sort of like your own research. This is a capstone. It's sort of like you're putting together an argument that you could put to the test, right? Like you pre- you're preparing to do the research, basically. Um, and I decided to do mine on the potential benefits of uh, psychedelic-assisted therapy with the, um, the Latinx population right you can call that like latino immigrant or you know spanish-speaking first generation however people sort of want to identify um and it was challenging like you know i had to really comb through a lot of different types of material to put it together um but the argument basically was like you have this population in the united states that continues to grow the you know general Latino population, which is encompassed of so many different types of people with so many different types of cultures and histories and all this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of them are not accessing care in the way that they need to. A lot of them are not having their symptoms recognized as the symptoms that they are because of sort of this gap um, between the cultural understanding of health as we know it and mental health as we know it and how other cultures do this, right? Including the different Latino cultures. Um, so I put together this argument about like, hey, you know, you could really see benefits um, and like 
benefit here in the city that I live in, in Charlotte, um, if we were able to apply the principles of psychedelic assisted therapy, right? Which it leans away from pharmacology. Um, a lot of Latino immigrants don't feel super comfortable uh, going with medication at the first route, for example, and oftentimes they really can't access medication, especially if we're talking about people who are undocumented. Um, so this is a shift from that, right? Like you're not using that model of ongoing prescription, you're using a model of like plant intervention or sort of like ritualistic intervention, which is generally kind of more common in, in other cultures and in different Latin cultures. Um, and so that was just sort of the, the beginning of the argument. And I went on into different sorts of like diagnoses that it could benefit. You know, we're talking like substance use disorder, so alcohol use disorder, you know, um, we're talking depression, anxiety, trauma. Um, and I, yeah, it was like a, it was a pretty long project. It was like a five month project. And at the end of it, I think I had a pretty solid, solid case. And that's my hope. Like I hope to be able to like put these ideas to the test. Um, but those are the benefits that I'm really interested in exploring. Um, and then I'm also really interested in looking at things like, um, the research into like eating disorders and body image and uh, mm. psychedelics and um, end of life anxiety and psychedelics. Like those things are also really, really interesting to me. Dope. That's dope. Well, let me ask you a question. I don't know if you were able to see this. It was a documentary in regards, this was more in regards to legalization of marijuana. It was on Netflix and um, actually they're actually having research now. I forgot the gentleman's name, the brother, man. Um, my mind went blank, man. He was a professor. But um, basically, um, he was saying that they're, fi they're finding out with the research that actually a lot of drugs like heroin and stuff like that, what we thought were like addictive, actually mm -hmm. wasn't really addictive. It was, you know, and I heard Dr. Gabe Matabe, the same person I had mentioned before, he, he, mm -hmm. he's done it. He's out of Canada. He's dealt with a lot with addiction. And he said that it's actually where they thought it was biological and these different things and, you know, addiction was disease. He actually said that the cause of disease uh, of addiction is actually relationships. You know what I mean? And, mm. and it's actually like a, a lack of love. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so what are your thoughts? Like, so basically both of these professors are like high level, you know what I'm saying? Like substance abuse, drug addiction, and they're basically saying, like, from their research and what they, you know, of the veil of, of, of what, what they came to understand, that it, we've been taught that it's, it's, it's all genetic-based, it's, it's disease, and it's, it's, it's not really that, like, you know what I mean, which mm -hmm. is interesting. So I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. So I think the addiction is disease model definitely has a really useful purpose, and part of that purpose is the addiction as disease model reduces stigma compared to the addiction as moral flaw model, which I think is definitely still part of some people's approach and society's approach to people with addiction issues. Um, this understanding that it's like a, a failure of your character, right? Like you're not strong enough of mind or sound enough of character in some way. And I think looking at it as a disease has been helpful. And I think there's elements of the disease theory that are helpful in people's recovery. I do think that it can be limiting um, because it can leave out, well, that relational aspect, right? So when I think of something like alcohol use disorder, right? Like I think, okay, well, that is a maladaptive coping mechanism. You know, at some point a person learns that this is the way you feel good. This is the way you feel better than you do when you're sober because when you're sober, well, what's going on? What's going on for anybody? It's relationships, it's, it's jobs, it's, it's everyday stuff and if your everyday stuff is not supportive if like your emotional needs have not been met then you're going to have maladaptive coping mechanisms and some of those could be addictive to you right like not everyone who's tried heroin gets addicted to heroin enough people do so that it's a problem clearly right but like it's I do think it's important to look at like all the facets of what's going on when people are experiencing addiction because it can be tempting to want to have like this one root cause, right? Like this is the one thing we, it's such a 
complex and painful issue, we want to simplify it. And I think it's just far from simple. No, that's dope. Actually, everything you said is what Dr. Matei said, actually. And, okay, he, yeah. and he actually, with the interesting thing in this documentary, he actually broadened the scope of, of what addiction is. You know what I mean? Like a lot of times we always, we think it's separate. It's like drugs and alcohol. But he actually brought into the fact that actually people can be addicted to their job. They can be addicted to how they look. And it can actually, you know, have the same, if, you know, chemical effects in the body. You know what I mean? Without even taking mm-hmm. an outside substance, which was kind of interesting. You know what I mean? What parts? Yeah, and. Oh, oh, no, go ahead. Ahead. no, you go <laughs> ahead. You go ahead. Um, well, and I was saying that sort of goes back to some of the stigma around psychedelics, right? Like, really, it's it's tough to abuse the, the psychedelics, like, for all sorts of reasons. It just doesn't have the same kind of chemical, or most of them really don't have the same chemical profile. Um, that would, you can abuse anything, but the likelihood goes down with things like, like mushrooms or, you know, LSD and things like this, ayahuasca, right? Things that are sort of tough on the body to, to take on. Um but yeah, I don't know. I also kind of thought on this. I get really excited, but also we're talking about, and then I'm like, oh, I don't know where I was going. <laughs> no, I'll try not to interrupt. <laughs> that was my bad. Um, I was only curious what um what psychedelics, which ones have drawn the most interest to you? Like, was it? I don't know if it's like a sibling mushrooms. I'm probably butchering the name or mm-hmm. LSD or which ones have drawn the most interest. Oh, man, um, I mean. <sighs> Well, recently I've actually been thinking that I don't know very much about ketamine. And I think part of that is a little bit of like this really niche, stupid thing that is termed psychedelic exceptionalism, right? Like Hmm. this understanding that certain drugs are, you know, just better than others. And I think I sort of had my nose down or looked down my nose at uh, ketamine for a while Mm -hmm. because I was like, how could that be helpful? Like, I don't get it. You just associate like, but it's, I mean, uh, clearly there is benefit to it. Like so many people are reporting these positive effects for depression. And um, I did a year at the VA here in, in Salisbury, North Carolina. And I learned that the VA that I was at was actually doing ketamine treatments, which I thought was crazy. I was like, what? Like the military hospitals doing ketamine treatments? Um, so that's been interesting to me just to sort of realize like, oh, here's a psychedelic treatment that is gaining a whole lot of backing and accessibility and I've sort of not even looked at it because to me it's like not one of the real psychedelics right like whatever that means um so that's been one and then I really 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 deeply just love psilocybin mushrooms like I think that they are just such a gift from (laughs) nature and I would love to be involved in in research with, with psilocybin um and then LSD too I think LSD also there are a lot of people who I hear sort of not value that experience because it's not like a plant experience or like, you know, a fungus. It's not quote unquote from nature. If it's been made in a lab, I think that's a very limited definition of nature. We're nature. Like it's people who make it. Right. So mm-hmm. um, I think there's a lot that can be done still with LSD research and I'm excited to see where that goes. No, That's dope. Um, and I'm just thinking in regards to like the ketamine, like, you know, it's so interesting because, like, a couple years ago, you know, I work in a school in Brooklyn. You know, we had to make sure our kids was not in the bodega taking K2, you know what I mean, out the bodega oh. <laughs> to the point where now is we're realizing that, you know what I'm saying, like you're saying, like, this is actually an efficient treatment. You know what I mean? We're, I'm in I'm in this, you know, if a dismissal, you know what I mean? I'm having kids, yo, bro. You know what I'm saying? You you in the bodega looking for K2? What's good? You know what I'm saying? Like, to, you know. To now, at the same time, though, I think about, like, oh, God, well, who knows how these kids are doing this, right? And, like, just, like, <laughs> I am all about people having, you know, access and the ability to change their own minds, right? At the same time, I'm also aware of, like, okay, like, it's not always going to be a positive experience if it's just done any which way. Like, there are definitely ways to promote just a calmer experience, a safer experience. And as I get older, that's definitely what I look for. I'm like, okay, let's make sure everything, everything's chill. <laughs> everything's safe. No, that, that, that's the most important part, man. Like, you know, safety. Yeah. But I, I think, um, so there's two questions I have. Like, I know you and Evan were saying in regards to, you know, alternate um, 
alternating your consciousness or your mindset or, or your mi- mind state, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. From a clinical standpoint, <clears throat> don't you think that we're we always go through different altered states of consciousness? It's just like now we're realizing that certain drugs can help us in that process where before we were scared mm-hmm. of. Because I feel like COVID changed our 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 sense of consciousness. A lot of us was in the altered um, since before, you know, of what we were before. It's almost like COVID to a degree was a psychic, psychedelic, you know what I mean? That's so interesting. I hadn't thought about the, the application of the pandemic as psychedelic experience, right? But, um, I mean, maybe, right? So, like, what are the things that can facilitate that altered state or, like, that non-ordinary state of consciousness? And extremes tend to help with that. Some people will play with, you know, fasting or um, sort of putting your, you know, like things like a breath work, right? Like breathing rapidly and kind of like overexerting the body in a way to shake up your, your nervous system and how it usually works and to trigger yourself in different ways. Um, and then you have the, the approach of taking the substance, right? Um, now you can also experience non-ordinary states of consciousness just sort of spontaneously, right? Like I would say that those really uh, poignant daydreams that we have sometimes, right? Those moments where we're just sort of like in a deep reverie and, you know, both really within yourself, but sort of also outside yourself. Like I think everyone at some point experiences moments like that. Oftentimes our lives are just so busy. Like it's hard to sustain that moment and something like the psychedelic experience, like chemically you're just going to be sustained in that moment. Right. So that's where it's helpful to sort of understand, well, what allows you to to play with the different states that come up as you are in, in the altered state, right? Like, how can you sort of tweak um, the different ways that you experience on the non-ordinary state of consciousness to help your goals, right? Um, but yeah, sort of to go back to uh, your question, I, I absolutely think that something like a pandemic, which, you know, we had not experienced to this degree in, what, 100 years, right? Like, yeah. the, the Spanish flu, like, that's going to make people question how things work, right? Or your general understanding of how you move through the world. Um, and I think we're still dealing with that quite actively, especially seeing as how some places people are doing really well, right? Some places, like, are not seeing a lot of cases, and some places are being devastated still. And the contrast between those things, I think, can pose a lot of questions that can also be posed by something like a psychedelic experience, right? Questions about, like, what are we doing here? Like, how are we all getting along as as a human family? 100%. Like, everything you said, I fully agree. Like, I think that's why, like, you're right. The pandemic, I see that. Like, even myself, like, you know, it's like a psychedelic experience is because it's like you have to believe, you know, when you take a psychedelic, I never took one, but I'm assuming these experiences, you have to know what's real, what's an illusion, and, you know, and what's, you know what I'm saying? And, yeah. you know, and, and trust what you believe to be real is to be, you know, is actually for your own good, you know what I mean? Because you might see a lot of things around you that's that's frightening, you know what I mean? And it's kind of like what happened during the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, you know... You know, you turn on the news and even me, you have family members and things are different and people passing away and things that you might have loved doing, you don't do anymore. Like these all, like you said, makes you question your own existence, which I think the psychedelic experience does. You see what I'm saying? For what I'm, for what I'm told. And like you were saying before, in regards to like how to change your consciousness, you're 100% believing, you know what I'm saying, like, on board with what you're saying? Because, like, uh, I know me, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Win Hoffman. This dude is for real, bro. You know what I'm saying? Like, he does this serious breath work. Your man be, like, in um, Antarctica, like, with, like, no shoes or socks on. Mm. And just changing his own, his own, his own, like, biochemistry. Damn. By breathing, like in literally, like it's a, he goes to his own state of consciousness where he can actually, like, change all the. It actually oxygenates, you know. what I'm saying brings like different oxygen levels to his own blood and everything. 
but he's like in freezing temperature. Like he has no shoes or socks on. David Blaine would hate that dude. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I don't know how he does it. I've tried that technique sometimes, and I'm like, I'm not cut out for Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, I don't think it's. <laughs> I, I think it's like it's one of those things, man. But I, I, like, I don't think most of us can't do it. But it's like, like you were saying, like fast, and I guess it's all. I, I think it all comes from a belief. Yeah, no. like how strong is how strong do you believe you're going to be okay? That's crazy. That's crazy that you compared it to like almost like COVID to one long scene of Castaway. Like we were yeah. kind of forced into that and that almost created our own psychedelic experience. Like, I guess, you know, when you're forced in isolation, it must create some kind of thing. Like, I think the psychedelic experience really is just like your mind trying to tell you something. And like, you know, the only way to have a good trip is to just trust what your mind's trying to tell you. Yeah, I guess that's exactly. Like, you know what I mean? In your mind, to me, when I look at my mind, I don't really see a difference between my mind and what I see in front of me. Right. Like when you look at like, when you talk about like quantum physics and stuff like that, mm -hmm. you know, when you start to get in this high level, like physics and spirituality, they actually say your environment and you and your perception is actually not the same. But as humans, our mind says... I'm looking at you, you're looking at me. But actually, in reality, there's no separation. It's actually happening at the same time. Damn. Yeah, I know it gets a little heavy. <laughs> I was going to ask, actually, um, I've heard a couple people speak and, you know, studying the same thing, that uh, there is some connection between using uh, psychedelic substances and kind of the creation of religion and perhaps people's, like, spiritual religious experiences not not to say that like you know someone took uh shrooms and created christianity but like i wonder if like there are some like correlation between like a lot of the imagery and representations and symbolism and and religion has some connection to psychedelic yeah. experiences like if i could turn back time i would love to go back to the creation of like you know hinduism right mm -hmm. like the origin point of that because it is so wild the things that people see when they're in an altered state. And it's not yeah. everyone and it's not all the time. It's not every experience. But, I mean, there can be some truly just difficult to explain, awe-inspiring experiences. And sometimes they feel, I mean, very much like, oh, that's from this one culture, right? That's from this one myth. Like, mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of theories as to what's going on with that. I don't think anyone really knows. Um, <laughs> you will have people sort of, I hear a lot of times people say, oh, yeah, you know, when you're in that altered experience and you're meeting, like, you know, angels and deities and all these beings and the ascended masters and all this stuff, like, you know, are you just tapping into the collective unconscious and I'm like okay well no one actually like, that's not just like one thing right like mm -hmm. there's not been some consensus agreement um, I think that idea of like a collective unconscious and archetypes and people being plugged into each other can it, it explains a lot like it explains a lot of how we interpret the world right we do look to one another to create cosmologies people don't have their own individual cosmologies when they do that's generally worrisome for other people right like that's yeah. generally sort of like wait where are you at like <laughs> you're somewhere else altogether when you come together and you have a culture and you have this understanding of well what's happening like then i think it's a lot easier to sort of see how some cultures could have used the plants or experience or the altered state experience to inform their religions but i mean at this point it's like it's so hard to know that stuff right like when, when you're talking about the big religions they're so old like yeah. it's so far away now and i think it's a big mystery i don't know i think it's one of the uh most exciting challenges for like the clinical field right because I think the clinical field still wants to focus on things like reduce PTSD symptoms, right? Reduce depression, reduce anxiety, improve functionality, right? Like, and that's all great. It's all wonderful. People do experience stuff that is so hard to explain and so hard for people to wrap their brains around. And I think that's going to pose like a really interesting challenge, challenge for people who are going to clinically be administering this treatment to other people. Hmm. But I think you hit on to you hit on to like a, a interesting topic in regards to like collective unconscious and the archetype, you know, archetypes and like Carl Jung kind of thing. 
Because, you know, that's the stuff that I actually am into myself. And it's like, I think that with the psychedelics, and I love to see the, the marriage between religion, spirituality, and science. You know what I mean? Because they've been like, you know what I mean? They're, they've been, traditionally, they've been kind of like on the, you know, kind of like the Celtics versus the Lakers. You know what I'm saying? They've always been like yeah. rivals. You Opposite know what I'm saying? sides. Yeah. Opposite sides. You know what I'm saying? But like, really, they're on the same team. You know what I'm saying? It's just like two different perspectives, you know what I'm saying? And like, I, I, I'm glad you say like the collective unconscious. I feel like we're now coming out of the collective unconscious because now we are, we realize that we all, you know, everyone is like you said, right. We all learn from each other. We, even myself, we've always been conditioned when we was a kids that everyone's operating separately. You know what I'm saying? Like, so if I had mental illness, I don't talk about it. Why? Cause I'm going to get judged. Because no one else is going through what I'm going through. You see what I'm saying? Like there was like a veil. But now everyone's talking about mental illness and people being more vulnerable. So now it's just like the collective unconscious is shifting. Because like now it's like, okay, no, no, we all are going through it. Different experiences. I mean, what I'm going through is not what you're going through, but we can relate. But like I know when I grew up, if you were going through anything, it's like, oh, no, man. You can't talk about it because, you know what I'm saying, something's wrong with you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Right, you were better off internalizing it. Yeah, because it's like your image, it was the most important thing you want to preserve. Yeah. So by telling people you have mental illness, even if you need help, the image, so it's like an assassination. If I say, yo, Ev, or I'm like, Laura, I feel some type way, the judgment from the crowd of, oh, something, oh, he... Oh, he's crazy was sca- more scarier than the actual experience of the mental illness. Yeah, no, for sure. Like, Laura, do you think people are more open to addressing their mental health? It, like, I would say probably in this way, they're probably even more comfortable than they would traditionally be. Yeah, I do think so. I mean, I think overall, and then especially younger people seem to have less stigma associated around therapy and things like that um maybe some issues around accessibilities of therapy is like mm-hmm. that's a whole different story i guess so but i think there is more understanding of just what mental health means and how it's not about just kind of bucking up and you know what like you know being stoic and sort of just yeah. pushing on how like we've tried that i feel like right like we've seen examples of what happens when you don't address your own emotional health and it blows stuff up like and it's not <laughs> it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable for individuals, it's not sustainable for communities. Like something that is really interesting for me is when I work with like, you know, immigrant clients and I ask about mental health and, and the family background, people are like, what? Like, I don't even know how to talk about that. Yeah. My aunt was crazy, but I don't know what type of crazy she was. Right. And I'm like, well, it's really helpful to know. Right. Like, but, and I used to kind of get caught up in that. Like, Oh, I wish I knew what diagnosis her grandma had. Right. And, at this point, I'm sort of just like, yeah, that'd be helpful, I guess. But I think it's more important to understand that she doesn't know these things about her family. She just knows they were bad, right? Like, people have the awareness that something's wrong, right? People have the awareness that things aren't being expressed, that people are holding resentments and secrets and, like, burdens. And I'm just talking about, like, family systems. I'm not even talking about, like, sort of, you know, just institutional uh, systems and the yeah. issues that that brings up. Um but I think people have an awareness that something's wrong, right? And even if we haven't known exactly what it was that our, you know, great uncle had or that, like, our mom had or whatever, like, we know that it affected us. Um, talking about trauma, like, one of the adverse experiences that a child can have is just caretakers who aren't well. And you cannot be well in so many ways. It doesn't have to be diagnostically, right? Like, it can... <laughs> it can come up in just a, a lot of different types of presentations. And I really do hope that the trend of talking about these things openly continues because like definitions of mental health and wellness, like I think a lot of times people feel like, Oh, it's in the hands of professionals, right? Like professionals are the ones with like, you know, the diagnostics and the different screening tools and things like that. But I also think like as communities continue to do their healing and do their healing work and help heal each other like 
we can determine a lot about what's, what's even going on, right? Like post-traumatic stress disorder can turn into post-traumatic growth. It doesn't just happen in an individual. It can happen in systems and communities too. Um, so I think like as you continue airing these things and feeling out where you feel safe enough to talk about these things, it has ripple effects. And it allows people to like move on and not continue in these sort of like ongoing trauma patterns over and over and over and over. No, no doubt. Very true. That's no, true. And um, you know, everything you said, and it's interesting you said in regards to like systems. And, you know, a lot of times we think system, we only think system is like maybe like, you know, institutional white supremacy, but like, you say you say like you know like you say intergenerational systems within families. Yeah. Like for me, I actually have my own interpretation of system. I look at system as is is any collective thinking. Like you know what I mean. Like collective thinking that leads to policy that leads to racism. You know what I mean. But it's like it's a group of thinking that uses that has like power. That's the agenda. You know what I mean. And you know, when when we can look at systems as, like you said, multidimensional, we start to understand, you know what I mean? Like, instead of looking at, you can see systems on a bigger level, which can help you heal, you know what I mean? Because, you know, that's the one thing, like I was saying, I hope religion and science can come, you know, kind of like walk hand in hand. Because the one thing that if, you know, regardless if, you, if you're religious or you believe in it, you know, that's, that's your right. But if at the core of what religion and spirituality is really saying is like, you know, moving towards like love and lack of limitation. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. However, however, the interpretation is each each religion has their own spin on it. I get it. They have rules, regulations and maybe, you know, and not saying everybody's, you know, on board with it. But like essentially that's the point of religion. Right. Is moving to a place where you can live freely and like everyone is on the same page, you know what I mean. And I think, and realizing that you can move beyond systems, even though there's a lot of systematic, you know, systems in religion, but like, but I, that's not that wasn't really the the point, you know what I mean, of religion. That's people's interpretations, and you know, like I said, they brought their own systems into it. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? But like. Like their intent was harmless. Yeah, like the intent of you, when you look at the intent of religion, wasn't harmless, but it's the people's interpretation, which it always comes down to it, which brings in oppressive natures and policies, and this is right, this is wrong. It's It's always the interpretation, just like psychedelics, right? Like psychedelics is from nature, but it's people's interpretation of it that create the narrative around it, if that makes sense. Kind of give a gift and a curse that like systems and religions are so malleable. Like you can't, they're not like, you know, end to end simple really. So people have been able to take advantage of them, but like yeah. that's kind of the benefit too. Like you can always get your own interpretation and your own perception of religion. Like you don't really need to be a Buddhist to like enjoy Buddhist philosophies. And that's kind of the case with other religions. And that's like kind of the benefit of a spiritual experience kind of unique to you. Like, right. I think I'm sure everyone gets their own interpretation experience out of it. And that's the thing. Like, they take Buddhist, like, uh, interpretation. I mean, really, the the whole gist of being a Buddhist is saying transcending the self. And, like, actually transcending the self and, and understanding who you are is just your authentic nature. Which is hard to understand. Because it's like, yeah. you because your authentic nature is basically you without anything. It's like without any ad- additives, right? Like it's like no hormones. It's like if the thing about when you when they say the Holy Spirit or you buy Whole Foods, right? The reason why we go to Whole Foods, the supermarket, is because the full food is whole. There's no, there's nothing added to it. You buy if you buy like a banana, the banana is straight from the earth. You know what I mean? Like so, the, the purity of it, you're saying? The purity of it. That's why it's called whole, the food is whole. And Holy Spirit and whole food is really no different. But people, we don't understand that, right? So it's like, 
this is like so when Buddhists talk about like being your authentic self, it's just like being who you are, like without any additives. But like we're trained to be like, I am Evan because I went to college. I'm this I'm so and so because I'm a blood. I'm so and so because I'm a Democrat. Like these are like experiences or you know what I mean? Like that's not who you are. Yeah, those are just societal labels and constructs that we've developed to create an identity. But like psychedelics give you an opportunity to explain something a little bit more than that. Right. Psychedelics, I'm assuming, take you to just, oh, I'm Evan, period. Yeah. Yeah, I think that being able to play with your identity is something that can be lost without even going through necessarily like you know, clinical trauma and things like that, right? Like you can just sort of get into a way of being and altered state experiences can, can help you cope at those things, can help you approach newness without as much fear. Like I think especially when we're talking about, um, about PTSD, like a, a huge part of why it is hard with people with PTSD to address their trauma is because of avoidance, but I don't mean just like, it's not just like, oh, I don't want to think about it, right? It's, it's like a deep, <laughs> your nervous system is avoiding these triggers so hard, right? Like, it's in a way, it's like your nervous system is, is stuck, it's frozen, it's not able to contend with the idea that you can think about what happened and what happened doesn't have to be happening again, right? That there can be another way to conceptualize what's already happened and to like, move forward right and that's really what like specifically mdma is helpful with it inhibits the fear response in your brain so when you are faced with your stuff like all that stuff that you usually are avoiding not even consciously but subconsciously avoiding in order to not feel the brunt of how hard it is it's less hard like it's just it's there with you and you're able to read it and it's not necessarily like a smooth experience for people like it can still be really emotionally challenging but especially like in the right type of environment you're able to be supported through that challenging experience versus like locked up by it as you've already been locked up by it long enough to have PTSD. no doubt let me ask you one one last question laura what do you what do you mm-hmm. see uh psychedelics over the next 10 20 years Ooh, so i am very I don't want to say I'm afraid because I don't like how that sounds but I'm concerned about the intersection between like our socioeconomic system and our for-profit healthcare system Mm -hmm. and the opening up of a psychedelic model Um, I'm afraid of some of the intentions of the companies that have been formed and some of the people who are backing these companies I find their ethics questionable to say the least and so personally for me, I think as much as I'm interested in like, yeah, all the mystical stuff and as well as kind of like the clinical application, I'm also really interested to see like who gets to access this medicine, how they get to access it and who's making it, who's profiting it from it or trying to. Um, that is what I think is going to be really important to look at in the next 10, 20 years is, you know, who's in charge. Yeah. Very good point. No doubt, no doubt. But um, Lord, we coming up to the hour, man. It was great mm-hmm. having you, guy. Like it was, it was such a pleasure, man. It was, it was so. Yay, I'm glad. It I'm was, so, it was so informative. Um, we definitely just want to appreciate you and just shout you out for like coming on board and sharing this information with um, you know, the audience that we are building. Um, Evan, myself, you know what I'm saying. Like I know some of them haven't been. You know what I'm saying? Privy to hear some of this stuff. So this was super dope. You know what I mean? Very, very dope. Thank you for joining. Yeah, no problem. I was happy to join y'all. It was fun. No doubt. No doubt. So um, we appreciate it. Again, you want to just shout, uh, let everyone know any, um, like if for, you know, mental health reasons, you know, if they needed like your social media, anything or. Oh man, I'm, I'm really bad at this. Um, okay. Well, if you want to follow, uh, the nonprofit that we're trying to get off the ground here in Charlotte to, um, offer accessible community based psychedelic mental health care, um, you can find us. It's at underscore Cahoba, C-O-H-O-B-A underscore again. So at underscore C-O-H-O-B-A underscore. 
Dope, dope. I, have, I hope everybody's paying attention, man, because this is definitely one for the books. But we appreciate you. And um, just shouting everybody out for listening, man. Link and subscribe. And we'll, we'll see y'all next time, man. This is another episode of Dad. Can you hear it? Um, can you hear me? Yeah. Yep. Thanks, bye. Bye, y'all.